I remember he did a punch up someplace and they were like, you know, everybody sounded like Dennis Miller. There's eight kids, there's eight year old kids running around. Hey, cha cha. And you know, yeah. <laughs> that's the Bonjour and bienvenue at Open Mic Pain with Anthony and Wayne. I'm here with a brand new fantastic guest. This guy's an Emmy Award winner, so way far above where we should be ever talking to, but he came to talk to us. He's a writer, comedian, and producer, many more. He's been a writer for the Drew Carey Show, Dennis Miller Live, Sabrina Teenage Witch. Wayne sent me a list, and I was like, I can't remember all of that, Wayne, and I wrote it on the back of a piece of cardboard so I can get as much as I fucking can because this is this is I can't as good remember as it, it is and that comes in handy. <laughs> right, goddamn right. I'm here at Ed Driscoll. How you doing, brother? I am good, thank you. You're starting to describe this. I'm like, oh this guest sounds interesting. Who's coming on? Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> well it's normally only because I have a human bin of waste that I normally go with and that's Wayne Russell. How you doing buddy? <laughs> doing pretty good. <laughs> I'm really excited. Uh I'm not gonna geek out too much, but I will say um the the list of things that you've worked on defined uh, a lot of my my growing up years. The Drew Carey Show and um, so, so thanks for calling me old in a polite way. Yeah. <laughs> I was, I uh, you're welcome. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, it was a pleasure, guys. Take care. I look forward to watching it air. <laughs> <laughs> but it's incredible. Uh, I've, I've been thinking about it since we set this up. That um, all of my you know a lot of my favorite shows uh, throughout my life. You've been behind them. And uh, and here we are, uh, somewhat face to face talking. So I, I really do appreciate the time. Oh, that's, um, I'm glad to entertain you as a youngster. Yeah. Um, so I guess we'll we'll jump right into it. Um, I'm really curious about how you started out in started out doing what you do. Did you start out in stand up and and how or what 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 was your main goal when you decided I'm going to do this? Well, and it's funny, and, and, and now, too, as we sit there and go, like, okay, because I started in the 30s, apparently. But, no, you know, I started. Uh, but as a kid, I, I loved, like, so, I, you know, uh, I'm 62. Uh, so I, I grew up uh, in the 70s, and I loved uh, um, Robert Klein. And I always loved comics. I loved being funny. And realized I had a little knack for, for making people laugh. But I don't know. I didn't, you know, my friends always made me laugh and stuff, so I didn't. So much consider myself a funny person, but it, it, it seemed to kind of go that way. And then when I noticed like teachers and some adults kind of laughing at some of the stuff I said, I thought like, oh, this is interesting. Maybe I have something here with this. But I, I loved comics and all stuff like that. And, uh, you know, and I did, uh, I hosted the talent show and did stuff in high school. So I knew I kind of liked doing it, but I kind of thought, well, I'll, I always liked writing too, and I thought, like, you know, I'll probably become a writer of some sort, a newspaper writer or something, and do some stand up on the side, maybe, or whatever. And I went to school at Ohio State uh, in the 80s, and that was right when, like, uh, stand up comedy started getting all these clubs and stuff, right? And, but I got onto campus, and the, the first day I got on campus, it was just weird. There was this thing advertising amateur comedy competition. It was, like, so weird. And in my head, I kind of was like, that seems like an odd sign. And then it's like you go over to the student union and, and you, you know, do 10 minutes of this and, and stuff. And I thought, well, I'm going to go do this. Uh, and so I went over there. And what's funny was everybody there was doing George Carlin, Robert Klein, Richard Pryor. Like I was the only person who had my own stuff. Now, if those guys had been there doing that stuff, I would have been screwed, right? Mm -hmm. These people doing it were not George Carlin and that, and so it wasn't effective. I was the only goofball talking about my, from my point of view. So like I did really well uh, somehow, even though all that other material was much more, you know, uh, polished and funny. But because I was me, so that was an interesting lesson to kind of pick up on, right? Mm -hmm. right? Uh, so I won this little competition, and then I started going to some open mics at a comedy club here in Columbus while I was in school. And I uh, did good. You know, I just always did pretty good. And, you know, in retrospect, some of it was the audience was just so relieved to see somebody who just wasn't awful, probably. But there were some other decent folks there. But, you know, I remember th when I, 
the very first time I went on a stage in Columbus uh, at that, and it was this packed crowd. And that's uh, amateur night is what they called it then. So it's a pretty forgiving crowd. They're rooting for you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They paid bucks. They want to hear. And so compared to everybody else, like I ended up like blowing the room away. And then your prize was to get to come back and open for the professionals uh, for the rest of the week, like Wednesday through Saturday. So I was pretty excited, you know, and I was like, man, I did really good. And thinking, you know, I'm like 20 years old or something. And I'm thinking like, I'm going to be on TV like tomorrow. I'm really good, you know. So Wednesday night, okay, now it's the full paying patrons, right? And they're paying 25 bucks a pop. They're not necessarily rooting for you. It's more like, okay, let's see the humor. Let's see it, fun man, right? And there was not a packed room of them. They were sitting out, you know, spread out, probably like 30 people. So I go up there Wednesday night and just eat it. I mean, it's just, you know, I was getting nothing. And, of course, I'm pretty rattled at this point. You know, it's like my sixth time on stage ever or something. And I'm in front of these people. I'm just, just completely silent. And, of course, it had to be one of those rooms where no backstage. So to exit, you had to, like, walk through the crowd humiliatingly. So I tank it for 15 and I'm swimming, I'm walking off, and I actually hear this guy say to this date, what the hell was that as I'm walking by? So it was fantastic. <laughs> so I go from I'm the greatest uh, comic that's ever lived to, oh, my God, you know, I should take my own life. Like, you know, <laughs> just like that. So it's like, okay, what's the happy medium? And so I'm walking around campus the next day, and I was like, okay, yeah, the truth probably lies in between. And that's – I kind of had to go through those two things right away to – say, okay, this is a process and what it is. And then, you know, from there, saying, I mean, there's a, I, I, I'm from Pittsburgh originally. And uh, after a college, I, I went back to Pittsburgh and I started working at a local club there. And they liked me and uh, was a funny bone in, in Pittsburgh and they had just opened up. And so I was emceeing, and, which is a great way to learn, too, because you work the easy crowds and the tough crowds and the drunk crowds and the good crowds, you know, tremendous, like, training uh, sessions there. And Dennis Miller was the established, like, guy in town in, in Pittsburgh at that time. And, and, and uh, he did local TV and so forth. And he was one of the first people to approach me. He's like, eh, you got a bright future, kid. You know, he said to me. And... You know, I wasn't good, but he saw something in there, and I thought, I don't think this is a guy that idly throws out compliments, you know? So I was, like, pretty thrilled, because I thought, like, this guy's, like, fantastic. And, and uh, so he went on to New York and Saturday Night Live, and then uh, my career in Pittsburgh kind of went. I kind of started doing some of the stuff Dennis did, local television, doing the stuff there. Uh, and then I moved to Boston, which you may have heard of, and uh, was up there uh, working in the early 90s. And I hadn't seen Dennis in several years, probably, like, five years, six years. And he heard I'd been in Boston, and he was coming into Boston to do some concerts. And he called around there and found out, you know, was asking, hey, I hear Ed Driscoll's up in there. I'd like him to open for me. Um, so that was cool, like, to get a call from the club that normally would, it would just treat me like crappy, like they treat everybody else uh, in the biz. And they're like, hey, Dennis is asking for you to come. I'm like, oh, fantastic. And, you know, it was, that was the fortuitous kind of time frame because now I had actually gotten half decent. I, I had fulfilled some of my potential and it was fun working in front of him and his audiences, you know, again, I, I, I'm not saying you have to be a professor to like my stuff, but I like to shoot as high bar as I can. And he certainly does. So those audiences were good for me, you know, cause they're like real listeners and they like intelligent stuff. So I, I was always a good match in front of him. Um, and right at that time, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I have a said, little frog in my throat. He's coughing. I said, wow. But let me interrupt oh. real quick. Just uh, as a quick aside, Boston in the early 90s, you must have come up with some absolute murderers for it to be in that time as well, right? That must have been insane. I guess. It's just funny. But, you know, we all, yeah, going back to that. Cause I was so in it was like Louie and Bill Burr and all those guys, Dennis Leary. Bill and I's paths have never crossed. It's oh, so wow. weird. I don't know why that is. We know, I know everyone he knows. And it's just so weird. And I didn't even know he was in Boston. I'm telling you, it's like two years ago. Somebody like, oh, he's from Boston. I'm like, he is? How did I? So somehow I missed him. He must, I don't know if he was just behind me or whatever. And I was there till. It could have been. Like Dennis Leary, I think, was right before. Like it was like Dennis Leary. Then ahead of me, some of those guys, like we were talking about, like, mm -hmm. like Stephen Wright, Dennis, mm -hmm. or, uh, Dennis Leary, 
uh, Lenny Clark yep. and those guys, Mike Donovan, uh, yeah, yeah. Mike McDonald, who was the guy who kind of sponsored me into the Ding Ho crew. Uh, yeah, that whole crew. And then it was me. I worked with like because we had I was part of Cross Comedy and Improv Troupe. There was David Cross and Jonathan Groff <laughs> oh, okay. uh, and uh, and uh, John Benjamin and all those yeah. guys. So I was that was kind of our little milieu. And well, those that's were, a hell those of a group in themselves. Uh, yeah, it was funny, you know, he, and I wrote about it in my book. I wrote a lot about Boston in my first book, Up Lux, Build Gravy. Um, but yeah, about that whole experience of cross comedy. And, boy, we had some great, you know, obviously there was a ton of talent there. And we had some really funny stuff. But, boy, when we tanked it, we tanked it. You just never could tell what we were going to do. And it seemed like every time, like, they loved us locally. We worked out a Catch Rising Star there. And so locally, you're like, whoa, they love this. But anytime someone came to see us that was important, you know, like from L.A. or New York or something, some crap would go down. You know, it's like the air conditioning ran out or something. It's like it would always be some debacle. And then after we all kind of split up and we're working in Hollywood and all of a sudden we all got successful. We're like, somehow we had to split up, guys, to, to, to do okay in this biz. I don't know why. It was just one of those weird uh, things. But those were super fun times. Jonathan Groff, you know, there's a producer. Like, everybody in that troupe has had a really nice career uh, yeah. out there now. And so that, Now, does David Cross, he was from Boston? I didn't know that. Yeah. Wow. Yes, indeed. And John Benjamin. That and, guy's an animal. And John Benjamin, too. Yeah. How was John Ben? Did John Benjamin do stand up? Because I've obviously only seen his acting now. No, not so much. He kind of, you know, was acting. He was in that, you know, I, I was one of the few people that was just a stand up. I'd never acted when I got mm. into cross comedy, but I started writing the sketches. And then I thought, oh, and so then I started putting myself in some sketches, even though I'm not, you know, I would never stretch. We had to real actors, John Ennis, uh, guys like that, who, who are good actors. Mm. Um, and but I would put myself into some small role, like I'm not going to be a sheriff, a sheriff in the 18th, you know, century or some weird, like challenging role. But it's like, oh, a, a snarky me, I can do. But it's funny, I'd never acted, and then I'll never forget, like the first time I wrote myself into a sketch, and I'm not thinking about it because I'm just writing the script, and then I'm realizing, oh, I have to actually memorize those lines and go out there and interact. Like, and I remember those lights going down that first time. It's like, well, that was stupid. Next time, I'm just writing for everybody else, but. I relaxed and it was good. And as I've told others, like it really helped my stand up too and, and learning to act. And a friend of mine who's, who's the best comedy editor, John Binninger in, in LA, but he's funny. He, and ed, ed, editing is all he's wanted to do, but he took acting classes and writing classes and stand up and everything. And just to be a better, all of those things. And so whenever I've been able to stretch myself a little, do a little acting, do a little this, this, that, well, it does. It, it helps your mindset. It helps me write better for actors or whatever. So the, the more of that stuff you can dip your toe in, uh, I found, is, is good. Hey, and did you know, in the early 90s, I actually taught a class at the Boston Center for Adult Education uh, for eight weeks, I think, on, um, on doing stand-up. Uh, my great friend, very funny, Bill Broadus, who is now a, a script uh, teacher there in, in at uh, either at BU or BC, I think at BU, uh, and, and the John Katz, another uh, kind of Boston guy. It was John from New York originally, whatever, but he's been a Boston guy uh, for a long time. But I took over that class for Bill, and that was fun. You know, it was, it was trying to teach how to be funny, you know, sometimes it's like trying to teach somebody how to be good looking. You know, <laughs> you, you do the best you can, right? You want to look as good as you can or whatever, but... If you don't have that little comedy chromosome, mm -hmm. you're probably not going to go to beyond that. But what I stressed when I was teaching that class to people was like, hey, this will help your public speaking. This will help. There's so many things like very few of you are going to be a stand up comic. I was saying to them, but I said, this will open up other avenues and stuff. And it was really fun because I really had a little of everything and people that. You know, we, we worked on our sets for like six weeks and then the graduation was them doing their shows. Uh, you know, in front of their friends and family. And it was really fun. You know, some people, you, you had a couple in there, it was like, oh, they really got some wit. And some other folks that were just okay, but enjoyed it. And then, you know, one or two psychos who uh, think they're funny and aren't. And mm -hmm. those are the most, obviously, because you're oh, like, yeah. look, I'm going to get you down. But holy crap, this is hard when you know how to do it. So it's, you know, but. Uh, oh, man, that's super interesting.
I'm sorry. We I'm said talking. You guys should talk. It's your show. <laughs> no, no, no. That's okay. You know, keep going. This is better for editing. Wayne says all the time, as long as the guest talks as long as possible is the okay. easiest way to edit. <laughs> <laughs> so we want one really uh, like we were talking about for a couple weeks before you came on. Why we were so excited uh, to have you is because. I feel like at the stage that we're at, all of us are kind of like little babies doing our comedy where we're not, we're just like, we don't know why we're doing it even. We're just kind of following a light that we have to follow and, and we're doing it that way. And you never really think about like, what are the avenues that comedy can take you down? And comedy writing is something I think stand-ups have such a obviously really good like leg up in the game to look into. I think it's a great, especially now where you could be a little bit more remote with your writing I think there's something that is underutilized for our community. So, you know, again, that's why we wanted to have you on. So what um, what was your first comedy writing gig where you were like, oh, you know, I was doing stand-up right. in there? And like you say, the good news is there's no set route. And the bad news is there's no set route. And yeah. I didn't really know. You know, I knew I liked to write even in high school. I wrote my own lame little stuff, but it was my lame stuff. So it did well because I was speaking, you know, from the heart. Um and it's just a mixture of, of things. It's just dipping my toe into different things. Like you said, I didn't have plants per se. When I, early 90s in Boston, all of a sudden, like, a lot of the club work started drying up, you know, and I had gotten used to some of the good, you know, perks like eating. And I was like, okay, I'm not making enough money now. How can I use my sense of humor? And I'll never forget, I sent, I saw an ad in a paper. Uh, they used to have this thing called a newspaper. You'd like to hold it in your hands and stuff. Uh, and it literally was that uh, advertising. It was a little local greeting card company, like in Melrose or something. And they were just saying, looking for, you know, quippy things for to write greeting cards. You know, and I thought, well, I can do that, right? Some of the lines or whatever. So I sat there with my word processor, which I was so cool. because Nobody else had a word processor, man. That was, that was up there at that time. And I wrote out these things and I mailed them to to uh this thing and i thought like oh this will be good i'm picking up a little side money and then like three weeks later i get back a, a, a letter from them saying sorry not funny or original enough and i was like oh my god i just felt like i've been told i wasn't like you know fit to clean the grill at burger king or something you know it was, it was so deflating i was like oh, okay but then that's what's like right about that time is when dennis came in and then dennis was getting this show on hbo too, which I didn't know they had just been talking to him about. And then so he liked what I'd done. And he was like, hey, you know, do you do you write topical? And that was funny. Do you write topical? And the answer honestly was, I didn't. Because topical stuff is gone like that, right? And as a comic, and especially touring around, you want stuff that's evergreen that you can do for a while. Like topical by the time you get it where you want it. I mean, if you're doing a nightly show. But if you're doing stand-up, so I didn't. But of course... Yeah, knowing uh, my first uh, good show biz lesson, I lied in his face. I'm like, oh, yeah, all the time. He's like, yeah, good. Um, but here's what's funny. Even with Dennis recommending me, I had to sit down and write 100 topical jokes uh, and send them in to HBO for them to approve. And, you know, I, I didn't really even write topicals. So I got USA Today and I sat down and I, again, it's like, this is one of those things. Can I do that? I don't know. Let's find out. So I did it. You know, they liked it. Luckily, he liked it. And that's when I ended up moving out there. And it was kind of funny because like eight months after I was rejected by the greeting card company, I, I won an Emmy, you know. <laughs> so I was like, I tell people that like same guy and probably same ability. So hang in there. You know what I mean? And, yep. and since all my years, like that's how the show, uh, showbiz thing goes, no matter how accomplished but I, that's when i like to tell people like hang hang in there because i was feeling pretty low and it's like no that that's the same dude I'm, i bet those were pretty good card things like the person reading them just didn't like them uh, that's okay you know that's uh, a pretty good um correlation to stand up in itself where you can go in one room yeah. and do the same set and bomb completely then the next night everybody loves you you know yeah and to, and to really have to discern you know, sometimes it is the crowd. I just tell people not to blame the crowd. But you know what? Sometimes it is. Mm -hmm. It really is. Uh, but people that blame the crowd every time is like, well, no, you're just not funny. You know, but 
the more you do it, as I'm sure you guys know, the more you do it, the more you get an idea going like, I think it was this crappy crowd, or it's like, well, I kicked that one like Pele, so no wonder they didn't laugh. You know, so I was like recording the sets and listening, going like, oh, you know what, that one was my fault, and this one going like, mm, not really. And you go up there and it's a bunch of drunks or whatever, and and babysitting drunks is not you know my <laughs> favorite thing, but, uh, even when I was one, and uh, I. I that I, I don't care for, but it's, if you can realistically look at it and go, yeah, sometimes it is the crowd's fault. Uh, I remember Gary Shandling early on because he was the first guy that came in that, that week at, 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 in Columbus that I worked with. And he had just done like one Tonight Show. So, but he was kind of like, oh my God, it's that guy. But he was so funny. He's like, he told me, he goes, Eddie, I, I used to bomb. I still bomb. And I think I'm good and I still bomb. You know what saying? That. I was like, okay, you know, it's good to know. And but I guess, I mean, I've been pretty lucky. If I bombed as much as some folks do, I, I couldn't do it, you know? Mm. Punishing, and, and so I guess some. And then these, you know, your batting average now, or for me, it's like, I have a pretty good guess of how stuff's gonna go. Mm -hmm. It just, but it's experience, right? It's just experience. Um, oh yeah, for we're one year in now, so that's the. the our, I was our, just gonna ask you guys how long you yeah. So well, how often do you hop up there and do it and stuff too? So we've been anywhere. I would say uh, between two and four times a week is what we've been trying to hit up. Like this yeah. week, I've, we went up three times. We did a show yesterday in a dive bar, which is definitely our domain. <laughs> and then you know, if yeah, we I get. Am. Yeah, if we do like three to four shows where people are like uh, meant to go to a month, uh, that's what we're trying. Like right now, that'd be our goal. It'd be like that'd be awesome. Like get a show yeah. a week or something like that. And outside of that, we're doing open mics in between. So the open mics are tough because nine out of ten of them, you're just doing it in front of your friends who are also open mic comedians, and you're just trying to like, can I make them laugh? Then I at least know there's something yeah. there. And outside that's of that, tough. it's all silent. To assess, I hear you like, um. Oh, you guys know more about open mics than I do right now because it's been a long time just since I, it's not something I would drop down into in a long mm -hmm. time. Not that I'm so above it, but if you don't have to do it, it's not yeah. a bad idea to, to skip it. But <laughs> um, I'm sure you guys have the same kind of like some that are quite good. And it sucks if, if you only have an audience of comics. Yeah, that I guess you're practicing up there, but getting laughs or not, you can't really. No, no, that was a huge part in the beginning for us to figure out was, um, you, you, as you know, obviously you write your stuff on stage most of the time where you do it the first time and it's really not what it's going to eventually be. You need the feedback to do it. And in the beginning with us, you're not really getting any feedback because it's all comics. But what we found in the first year is the next step up for us was kind of finding there are a lot of mics that are, are, are open mics, but they're pre-booked. And you kind of got to know the guy to get on the show and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And we're noticing those are getting us in front of real people. And that, to us, is the only game right now. Like, we'll give the money back that we're going to get paid if we can get in front of a real group of people. Because yeah, you're right. That's how you're going to grow. That's yeah, the our only way. Comics, uh, our, our comics. And, and, you know, we don't laugh, right? We go like, oh, that's funny. That's like <laughs> yeah. even if you're in a writing room, some of the funniest people in the world. You know, it is like instead of laughing, I'm not like, oh, that's funny. That's funny. Get that down. And mm. you're down. And it's hard to explain that to civilians, uh, you know, to like people come up and they'll tell you a joke and I'll go, oh, that's funny. Like, yeah, I can tell you're really laughing. I'm just like, I don't really laugh. I only laugh at really stupid stuff that my yeah. friends said to me. Or, you know, otherwise I sit there and go, oh, that's funny. Uh, you know, that's that's the comedian's way. But I think you guys are smart in, in that regard. And, and I'm sorry, you started to ask me about all the differential like of writing, but it was the same thing for me. So I went out there, wrote for Dennis, and then the agencies are out there. Oh, you're pretty funny. And then uh, Jeff Cesario, uh, who was uh, the EP on uh, Dennis's show and was friends with Louis Anderson, he's like, hey, Louis's doing a Tonight Show. He wants some tweets. Will you help him? So that, and that's where I first worked with Louis, and we just had a, a lifelong uh, friendship till he sadly passed a few years ago, but one of my favorite people to work with. But I was like, I think I can do that, and I wrote in his voice, you know. And what I did find was I was able to write in people's voices, like Dennis's and stuff like that. Like I could kind of... Uh, and then that just led to intros to people like, you know, and then Louis was like, oh, you got to check this guy out. And then uh, Billy Crystal heard about me. And I, went, I was able to write in his voice and it's all that stuff. But he's like, can I do this? I think so. But I knew I had an ability to write in other people's voices besides mine. And that's something you're talking about, like stand up comics. But like even 
not every stand-up comic, if you can't write in other people's voices, you're probably not going to work on sitcoms and so forth. It's mm-hmm. like, like, I do a lot of punch-up things. You've got to be able to go in there. And it's like, well, why is this funny? It's like, yeah, that's a great joke, but like, you know, that actor would never say that or in this context. And one of the funniest, I mean, there's nobody funnier than, than Dennis. I mean, but I remember he did a punch-up someplace, and they were like, you know, everybody sounded like Dennis Miller. There's eight kids, there's eight year old kids running around. Hey, cha cha, and you know, yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't work. So that was weird. And Dennis is like, I don't think they liked my punch up, you know. And I was gently trying to explain. I'm like, well, it's it's funny, but you know, eight year olds don't do Watergate references and stuff. That was one of my questions that we wrote down. Actually, was like, uh, when you write for uh, somebody, are you trying to write in their voice, or are you just writing jokes and hoping they can interpret I mean, it in their voice? But that's the skill, right? Well, yeah, it is. And then sometimes it's like when I wrote, you know, I've had a strange career. I wrote a patter for Barry Manilow. It's like, I don't know what he sounds like. So I'd be writing his jokes, but you start to pick it up in your ear and, and see what he's comfortable with and going, okay, I kind of get this or try this, try that. Um, and you know, Yeah, some, Barry Manilow patter? Man, really it must have been a lot of banging fucking young girls. That guy was an animal. <laughs> What's that? Barry Manilow? That guy was an animal. Love him. Oh. Yeah, what pattern did you write for him? I want to hear this. He was banging young girls, he said? Yeah, hell yeah. Barry Manilow? You just... I, I, I don't think he means uh, underage. I think he just... <laughs> think no, he no, not... No. Him. <laughs> no offense, but I don't think he means girls. Uh, you know, Barry is uh, openly gay, so... Um, oh, was he? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you thinking Barry White? Okay. Well, I asked I was thinking Barry White. I didn't know about <laughs> I was like, God, a patter for Barry White. And sorry, I had Barry White in my head. I was like, that must have been intense. Yeah, like, oh. <laughs> yeah that's, that's No, Manilow must have been intense, too, actually, now that you say that. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nicest guy. Super nice guy. You know what I loved about him, too? Is like, if I pitch a joke and he, he, he'd just say, like, Oh, Eddie, that's really funny, but I don't think I can say that. I was like, oh, that's the nicest way to turn down a joke in the world. And it's like, and if you're not comfortable, don't do it. He's like, I wish everybody, if everybody was that polite turning down a joke, I wouldn't, yeah, I could maybe only go to see my shrink once a week instead of five times or whatever. So that must be the toughest part of writing is when you write for stand up, obviously you try everything and you're like, well, that's funny to me. I'm going to keep doing it. But when you write for other people, you got to take a lot of rejection in there. Yeah, and you never know. And then, like I say, too, you get you get comfortables. You got like God, because I wrote with Louie for stuff for years, and and same with Billy Crystal and some of those guys. Like you start to know what they like and this and that, and and you don't miss too much. Mm-hmm. You know? uh, but but yeah, you not everybody is able to jump around like that because you know there's there's a couple of friends and God bless them that are really good stand up comics, and they're always like, I can't get on a show. And I was sitting there, but I'm thinking, like, because that's great, you're writing these jokes, but, you know, you got to be able to write situation comedy. This is funny because of when it's happening here, and this is what this character would do. This is so out of character. Great joke. This guy would never say it. It's not going to work. You know, so, like, finding out that. I didn't know if I could write on sitcoms either. That after I was doing the stuff for Louie and, and doing some writing for all these variety shows, and then the agency's like, hey, can you write sitcoms? I'm like... I don't know. Not like, oh, so I had to write a spec sitcom. Now, this was after I was still very accomplished in these other fields, and I thought it was kind of interesting. And I was like, really? Like, it's like, you know, I'm winning awards and stuff for this. And like, they're like, no, they got to see a sample of a show, like a sitcom. And I found that, like, I was like, really? I have to continuously prove myself. Um, but fair enough. And so I wrote a spec, and people liked it, and it got me into some shows. But I, I have to say, working in variety rooms and in sitcom rooms, Sitcom is a little bit of this, like, oh, can you write sitcom? But there were more people kind of sliding along in sitcom than in variety for me. But in a sitcom room, you can you can cost a little bit because you're not doing all the actual writing all the time. Like in in variety, you're pretty much turning in. Here's all my shit today, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, in a sitcom, it's kind of a group thing. You're tossing kind of like stuff a roundtable. Yeah, but you're not sitting there going, let's see it. Here it is. What did you get? You know, what did you get in the monologue like today and stuff? So I was, I thought it was a little funny. Like some of the folks in sitcom were a little snobbier about it. And I thought like, quite frankly, guys, I, I think this was harder having done this. But, you know, there's some brilliant, obviously, a lot of great sitcom and are great with story arc and that. And I had to kind of learn that as I did it too. Um, it's like I said, like I just kept trying everything. And if I, if I could do it, I, I could. And if I couldn't, I couldn't. But it, it, 
it was fortunate for me. I was able to kind of use my humor in all these different areas. So thank God, you know, and it made it good for me too because you know things are cyclical and and it's like mm. sitcoms are hot now. It's like variety's down. It's like oh, you know, it, you have friends that are just sitcom writers or just this kind of writing. Like if that show goes away in favor, you know, for mm-hmm. a while they're out of work or whatever. So I, I think it was out of more fear than anything else. I'm like, well, I'm trying everything because you got to spin a lot of plates out of here. Uh, you never know what TV's going to do or show is. Like David Spade, one of the great things, he says, the only thing a successful uh, project in show business does is ensure you another six months in show business. And it's, mm-hmm. it's so true. You're constantly going to have to redo stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point to bring to now since you're, you're wearing you know, the sex shirt. I'm sure you're still in the game and all that. What do you think makes sitcoms not as popular? Like they're at a cyclical nature now as far as getting, you know, like a multicam type of show of a sitcom. Yeah. You don't really see something. I don't know. I, I, you know. I can't really put my finger on this. It's like, you know, people liked Westerns. Now they don't. It's just, it, mm-hmm. it, comes, it comes and goes. I, I, you know, quantifying the, the public's taste of what they're going to suddenly like is is hard to do so boy i sure don't know and neither do a lot of uh, network executives who are making millions and still don't know it's like hey i don't know either i'll do it for half that stick me in the executive <laughs> position i can sure. put shit together you know do you think the market is saturated uh, too saturated with with streaming you know netflix has a thousand different shows coming There's out an argument and- for that for sure i i think you know it's interesting. I remember reading a thing. Well, like all of it, right? Even like stand-up because everybody's on. There's so much more stuff you have to sift through. And, you know, you hope that the cream can kind of rise and this and that. But I remember reading a really interesting article, and I wish I could think of who wrote it because that's it's crappy. I always like to give the writers a, a credit. But, but this person was positing that could somebody like Bob Dylan or Winnie Allen like get discovered today? Because like, having to go on YouTube and cut through all this stuff that's out there and it's Mm -hmm. it's a real interesting question i don't know the answer to that you know but um yeah i think there's a saturation of everything and and you know everybody's got the right to do what they want to do but it's you know you see plenty of just crap and it's like you'd like think like well you know i I, mine would have a better chance if they didn't have to sift through 20 things that were terrible and then stop watching kind of thing Mm -hmm. yeah it's 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 not the best thing, but you know, who am I to tell people to like, mm, yeah, you're not good. Can you not do that? <laughs> you know? right. It's not at all. Well, that was the first thing we had to learn not to do was to realize that because when you, when you start out and you see someone, you're like, wow, that person should never, ever do stand up ever again. That hurts me that they even tried. And then you see them six months later and they're great. And you're like, wow, there is really, you, you never know. And sometimes it's not great, but they happen to strike a nerve and I won't. I will not say any names, but uh, I'm sorry. But uh, now there's a couple of folks I remember thinking in my head, like, oh, my God, what are they moving to L.A. for? There's nothing happening. Boom, I get on a show or whatever, and you're just like, you know what? I have no right to judge anything. You know, it's like you can never tell. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you can't tell. And so, yeah, it's not my right to discourage anybody, and I wouldn't want to. God, it's, it's all discouraging enough on its own. They sure don't need help. I remember flipping through uh... – TV years ago and coming across Louis CK on, on uh, HBO and watching like three minutes. And it was just a joke that just didn't hit me in the moment. I was like, this guy sucks. I changed the channel. <laughs> then years later, I think it was Anthony was like, Hey, did you listen to whatever is hilarious or whatever, whatever album was? I was like, no. And I'm listening to it. I'm like, I know this guy. Why do I know this guy? And that memory popped in my head. I'm like, how, the, why, man, I wish I could have had five more years of enjoying that comedy. Yeah, who knows? Although, you know, maybe his earlier stuff when you saw it wasn't that good, right? We all have our ups yep. and downs. It's it's funny, and it's just very sad for Louis and all that mm-hmm. that went on there. But I knew Louis like in Boston, and he he was high school. So he told this story, and and I did not remember it, but he told this story on Conan um, that apparently I brought him up for the first time ever on a stage. I was hosting. Get the fuck out of here. Yeah, isn't that, I was like, I was like, I don't remember that. And then he was like, oh, this guy in Med Driscoll is real funny. I was like, oh, that was nice. And I was like, I don't remember. But then when he talked about it, I remembered what happened. But he said, uh, I, I'm trying to remember, was it at Stitches, I think, in Boston? It was a club in Boston. But it was a, like, a, you know, the open mics and I was hosting or whatever. And, you know, that was one of the things. And I don't know if it's still that way and maybe some, but like some of the open mics, 
in Boston or whatever, you get a little mix of like Lenny Clark would come by and it's like, well, he's obviously not an open micer, but you know, you have good people and you have a good person who hosts and you try to keep this show. But I didn't realize it was his first time, but I did remember. And he, he told the story about everybody was supposed to do like 10 minutes or whatever, or no more than seven to 10 or whatever. And that was the thing. And Louie got up there and like did about 45 seconds and, and was eating it. And he panicked and he bailed. And I had to come running from the back. I'm like back in the pond, like, what? They're like, he's off. <laughs> they go like running through the room. And I forgot I'd said this, but until Louie told the story, but I, you know, apparently I got up there and I was like, folks, that's why we have the light for a guy to go on and on like that. Now the show has no more time left, you know, because he'd only been on like <laughs> I lectured him about like he's bumped all these comics and stuff. So I didn't know that was his first time and I barely remembered it till I saw him. So I'm telling this story, and I was like, holy shit, man, that's pretty funny. And I do remember you bailing, because I, I can still see me running from the back of the club. <laughs> it, was, it was seriously less than a minute. Um, yeah, there, so the, right now, if you are in the heart of Boston, there is a chance that you get some, like the Steve Bjork or Casey Crawford, or a couple of the guys that are just locally going to do great shows. They'll pop into those open mics there, but those will have like 30 comedians trying to get on them and you'll get three minutes and all that, like Laugh Boston does an open mic and all that stuff. And then as you get like Lowell, Massachusetts, uh, Manchester, New Hampshire into those, the open mics there, you're probably never going to see those guys, at least a lot of the time, go to them. It'd be a lot more rare. It's mostly going to be, if you get a crowd, that's nice, but it's going to be the same comedians all the time. Those you generally are going to get five to seven to ten minutes in those, so you get longer time. So that's really how it's a really saturated open mic scene, which is awesome, obviously, to have so many mm, options to go to. Yeah, but there are, you know, there are hits or misses. And, and I hear the old times of when, um, you know, like Steve Sweeney would just be all around. Like you would be, uh, if you went to an open mic, you're going to run into him. He's going to be there. Or yeah. like Conan could come in and, or whoever the heck, you know. I, I know there were always some good pros. And we used to get to, like in the Boston, especially when I was there. You know, it's, it's fun. You work on stuff. That's when I would work on stuff. I, you know, start out with some funny. Here's the thing I'm testing. And it was okay. And here's my funny. Bye. And you do that. Mm. But it was fun. You know, we did the camaraderie of the people. But like you say, it's a funny, I remember one of my uh, favorites, Catch a Rising Star, which is in Cambridge. And I think Rick Jenkins is trying to open a club like right across the way there in Boston from where the old Catch a Rising Star, which was prior to that was Jonathan Swift's. I don't know what kind of store it is now, but it's right there in Harvard Square. But uh, I was, that was my favorite. I think that's still my favorite club of all time. Like, the, the, boy, the audiences were just so good there. And we used to have the smartest. And Louis Black was in there all the time. And just like really good smart acts. And, and boy, it was so fun working there. But they had an open mic on Sunday. And you get a little of everything. And I remember it was really funny one time. I see on the sign-up sheet. And this guy just, guy wrote his name. And he's like, not an open micer. And we just and I laugh about that to this day, going like, well, what does that mean? And it's like, okay, well, thank you for deigning to come down here. And who are you? And why does any of us care? And, I don't, and of course he was. He was like, you know, it's like I, nobody had heard of before or since. And I was like, well, then what are you? And like the fact that he like wrote that down just made us laugh so hard. <laughs> no, we we itch for those people to because like a lot of the time, like, let's say we're on a showcase and there's five comedians. We're all right now, in the, and usually maybe they're doing it for two or three years of comedy or any of that kind of stuff. But we're hitting the crowd. We're creating the energy in a similar way, and that's fine and all that. But there are some times where a real pro comes in, and you're like, oh, that's how you do it. And another universe that I don't even understand how good they are. And it's really good to see that from time to time. Like, uh, it was actually Steve Bjork who was the first person to ever do that to me, where... We were at a show where everybody, the it was a bunch of, uh, you know, it was an older skewed crowd, not a lot of them scattered, and the first five comics did eight shit. And then uh, Steve went already. up. Yeah, it's a tough room. I, but I watched him go, uh, like, before he went up, he analyzed that, and then went up and brought the energy into the room, and then I went after him, and I did great because he did that. And to this day, it's still like I, that's a skill I don't even understand how you, how you get to that level. And it's exciting, you know, because. Well, and I guess it is, it. it's experience. You know, your instincts kick, kick back in. Even now, like I hadn't done, because I must say, I'm working on this one man show now that, that is fun, because it's all these weird stories I have from Hollywood, and it's really fun. So it's not really stand up 
per se, although, you know, it's funny and funny little stories all the way through. Um, uh, oh, and I forgot my point. And that's what I do in the show. Too. <laughs> I think the guy would, would, would maybe, like, write some of this crap down. Um, but no, uh, and then I was so, I've been kind of lucky as I've played theaters and I've, I've, I haven't played a lot of clubs. I, I'm not into stand-up comedy clubs too much. And so I've been able to pick and choose a little bit and do Vegas and this and that. And then um, I did a thing out here, which I hadn't done like a show for a while. And it was a little boozier than I'd been used to, a little tattier or whatever. Mm. And so at first I was like, oh, this is weird. But it was like, boy, did I, I was like, bang, 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 bang. And all those things came back going like, oh, all those instincts of how to handle a crowd like that. It's like, oh, yeah, I guess you've learned it and it, and it stays there. It's like, and it's still not my favorite thing to do. And I hate when I, oh, I got to really pound away here now because if I stop for more than 30 seconds, they're going to chat or they're going to, and all that's running through your head. And it's funny, like, I wasn't even enjoying the show. But I got back afterwards, people were like, it was really great. And it's like, and it was good because they were entertained. And that was my job that night. You know what I mean? But I remember thinking like, I hate doing that, but it's useful to know how to do that. And I had that thought, like you guys are talking about, going like, "Boy, in my first year or two, that would I would have gotten eaten alive there. That would have been the end of it." Good part is sticks with you. It is a little like the riding a bike thing. I mean, it really is. Yeah, there's there's some kind of like slowing down the game, like football, where they talk about like when a college yes. player goes in the NFL. Yes. And it's just so fast in the beginning, like where people talk like, what? Like, what are you saying? <laughs> but later, <laughs> that is a great analogy. And yeah, it's really, really like that. It's like even like doing TV or getting on the first you know, what the hell? And then you get a little more answers like, oh, okay, I've done this before. And not too cool for school, but you get a little more relaxed and you're not thinking so much. It's the instincts, right? Like the football players will say and stuff too. It's like, I go out there, that's the defense. It's not, not like, okay, if I see this, I have to, you know, you don't have to think too much. It just starts coming. And I don't think there's any other, um, there's no, uh, you know, magic bullet other than experience, right? I, I think that's what it is. No, yeah, there's a lot of classes that teach comedy out here, and they are awesome, you know, for what it is, like you said in the beginning, to learn a little bit of the rules. But there are some people that you, like, uh, like, could you teach Sam Kennison how to do comedy, or, or is that just something where you're like, how do you teach that? <laughs> yeah, it's like, you know, and that's why it was in, like, to, to me more when I've, well, and I've taught, like, right now I've taught, like, some online, like, writing kind of stuff, and it's the same kind of thing. I stress it, like, you can use this for a lot of different things. You know, you want to be a little, you want to make the jury laugh a little bit? Here's how you, you know, people in these other lines of work, but I mean, it's, it gets people's attention. And I also do consulting for like corporate guys that are kind of struggle speaking or whatever. And it's like, and that's another thing too, is like, I don't have them up there working like, hey, nice shirt. Would you blow down ho? You know, I can't have of Microsoft doing that. But if you're funny and work in their parameters that feels natural with them, uh, it, that keeps people's attention, right? Because otherwise like, the attention span just goes. And so that's why I always try to emphasize some people. I know this is a thing talking about open mic and stand-up comedy, but I would yeah. encourage people to, you don't know what direction it's going to take you. In. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't really know either. I'm like, I guess I'm, I'm funny. I'm going to do this. Can I do this? And then it just, you know, your little world rolls along and, and you start learning all these little skills. Uh, yeah, don't say no. That was the that like you said, that's a huge takeaway. We were talking about this a couple of weeks ago where we right now if someone asked us to do a certain amount of time, what would we say yes to? And it's basically how much would we lie? So like right now if you were like, "What are you good at?" we should probably only be doing 10 minutes. But I was like, if someone asked me to do an hour, I would totally say yes and try to figure it out. Like, I would, yeah, I, I mean, depending, like, if they're saying, okay, it's going to be on network TV, you might be like, all right, maybe not. But I hear you, like, <laughs> depending on the circumstance, right, of going, like, oh, up at the bar there, I, I surely don't want to, those three drunk guys at the end to think less of me. And it's yeah. like, yeah, no, if you can, I, I'm with you. A little, little white lie like that, and because and, and, it's the only way you're going to grow. And like you say, you don't want to. You know, it's when people go in and misrepresent themselves terribly. That happens, too. And then it ruins. Yeah. So I'm a professional comic. And then you bomb. And they're like, we're never doing comedy in this place again. You know, that, that shit happens. And that's dangerous. And it's like, it's, true. So it's like you said. I mean, I know you're being funny. And I know you're saying, I do the hour. But it, I'm sure you'd be like, depending on the circumstance, you're not going to go up. You know, and that ruins it for you again. So I'll never be back at this club. And I told yeah. them, I a freaking half hour and i only had 10 and they're never going to believe me again so yeah you do have to stretch that. those comedy muscles a little bit so you know if, if you feel, feel comfortable at 10 and they go hey can you do 15 okay sure right. but it's, it's like you know lot. you're not going to go from uh not going to the gym to lifting you know or you know 
right. you know, lifting 265 or whatever. I'm oh, saying I'll, I'm try, I'll go, blow yeah. out my spine trying to fucking do it. I, tell, I promise you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'm with you. So I have a question yeah, we, for you. Did you, go did you have something more in that vein, no. Anthony? No, uh, I would have been down another tangent. Go ahead. <laughs> so one of the big things that I love about getting on stage and, and you know writing the jokes, getting on stage and, and saying it is that that like endorphin rush you get when when a joke just lands and everybody's laughing and you can feel the vibrations of the laughs and. So you having having written for sitcoms and um, helping out with uh, with other comedians and stuff, do you get that same endorphin rush? Like, uh, you know, let's well, say like uh, Drew Carey. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's the endorphin rush, but I get a good amount of satisfaction. Like I enjoy it too, and like I guess you say, yeah, there's nothing like that feeling of you doing it and you feeling it. But yeah, it feels good to watch somebody in some big thing or see your jokes quoted mm-hmm. someplace and stuff. Like I've always thought that's pretty cool. It makes yeah, you know, makes me feel good. And I mean, I like writing books too, and I hear from people, oh, I was laughing out loud, and like I didn't hear them doing that, but it's nice to get mm-hmm. that feedback and go like, that's cool. They're doing it. So a little of everything, like you say, I guess nothing beats that particular rush, but I do enjoy the other stuff too. And I guess the more I do it and stuff, I don't have to have it all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I shouldn't look down on anybody that does, but like, it's funny. I always think of like Jay Leno, you know, he's doing the tonight show every, every night. Like you'd think that would get your comedy fix, right? And he's, I mean, he was doing like bowling alleys places and stuff. He would work every freaking weekend. It's like, I don't need it or love it that much. That's just me. Mm-hmm. I have some other friends like that too, really great comics. It's like, good Lord, they'll drive an hour to do a 10 minute. I'm like, you have, you have money. I don't love it that much, I guess. It's just kind of funny. I mean, it's a good feeling, but I guess, I don't know. Every, everybody's different. And, uh, you know. It's got to be close. I, the best the best feeling I think I ever get in comedy is giving another comic a tag and then seeing them do it and it works. And you're like, yes! Yeah, it's fun, <laughs> right? Yeah, especially if you help a friend or go like, oh, say this. And you're like, hey, that felt good too. No, it's, it, it's good to enjoy some of that other stuff too. It's <laughs> not just about you, you know. So when you were uh, when you were writing on on sitcoms stuff, were you still going out and, and doing stand up, or, or were you like one hundred percent focused on? Well, I was, but it depended. You know what I mean? Because if we got really busy, I'd be like, no. Or if you get like a TV shot, or I'd go out. I wasn't looking to do it. But then you know, in sitcoms, you go on hiatus, and it's like, oh, okay, well now I'm going to go do more stand up or whatever. And then you know, I've been through a few writer strikes. So like in two thousand eight, when we went through that strike. Uh, I was working in Vegas constantly because I couldn't, we, we couldn't write for uh, five months. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, it, it varies, you know, but I, I definitely did not have as much hunger because, you know, there's a lot of late hours too in doing sitcom and stuff. And, you know, I had a fiance at the time and then well, I had a wife and a kid and it's like, it's like, eh, I'm, I'm happy to hang out over the weekend and, and not do a show. Mm-hmm. Fun to do it when you can or something good comes up or they're like, hey, we're doing this benefit here and it's friends of yours and stuff I'm like oh that'll be cool let's do that but but i know people you know even those they're leaving the freaking writing room like 10 o'clock couldn't wait to hop down the improv and do another 10 i'm like mm, not me <laughs> I can't see i love this because we um like the different perspectives of how to make it far into comedy are so important because we had doby on like you said you know doby really well and Dobie has a like uh, his perspective on comedy is very great because he's uh, when he talks to he's like you know guys don't worry about like you're probably never gonna get to the level because the level that you need to get to to get to the highest level these guys are every night always out all this stuff and he was such a like the Dobie was always big on uh, hammer in the streets and all that and I know that you can go out and you know write for a sitcom like you were doing on the side and it's a tangential version in the same direction so we just love you know the different versions of the same you know yeah funny i, bone, I, I rather, you know i did plenty of road work and everything else but it's like mm. you know and not putting it down or you know made a living in this nap but it's mm. like that is not my artistic fulfillment doing that it's like i party i know i'm funny i can do this let's do that or whatever and it's kind of, I don't know, as I'm getting older and stuff, too, I, I like the idea of the books being around and things being around that people mm. can hopefully read for a long time and, mm-hmm. and, and joy and, uh, you know, uh, instead of, I mean, you know, Dobie has, and he's right, as I know Dobie, too, and we always have these discussions, and he really doesn't like the people. None of us do. They'll be like, you know, ah, I know what I'm, I'm great. I'm already, and it's like, oh, you got to earn stuff. But mm. like you said, there's different ways to earn things, too. But I guess it's, a depends on what you want to do and be what you can do. You know, if I had yeah. tried to write a comment and it sucked, I get like, okay, I guess I'm doing stand up in some variety or whatever. I was just fortunate that I was able to, you know, spread in a lot of different directions. But I find mm-hmm. all of it pretty, pretty satisfying. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, definitely. Like you said, it's it's like a you know all part of the funny bone. So yes. as we get closer to wrapping up here, you know, we got a little bit of time left. I I know Wayne's got a question he always asks at the end that uh, he likes, but one more I had was. You know, right now when we're doing uh, open mics, uh, all of us as comedians, we really have no idea how to ascend to whatever the next level we consider to be. And I know we've talked about a lot of avenues to go, but do you have advice to somebody like in our position who's like all we're doing is going anywhere that will let us talk and let us talk? What takes us from that to being able to, um, you know, open for Steve Sweeney or any of these guys and all that. Is it networking more than anything else? Is it hitting the pavement? Like, what, what would you give for advice? There's a little of everything, isn't it? Like, because like I said, I didn't have it planned. Like, oh, here's what's going to happen. Dennis sure. is going to think I'm funny. And when I get to Boston, he's going to be getting the show. You know, yeah. there's really no way to know. I guess the biggest advice is, like, be the best you you can be. Work on your stuff. Work on your talent. Put the work in. And stuff will happen that you're not even thinking about, you know, but and it's good to network or, you know, if you see Steve, I go up and go like, hey, you know, this is my name. Nice to meet you. And I'm an open guy, you know, and even say like, hey, I'll have to open for you sometime or something or, you know, it's okay. You do that. And some will say yes, some will say no. Um, But just keeping yourself out there and, you know, and presenting yourself as as a serious pro about it, too. Right. Not goofball. Go like, yeah, my buddies think I'm fucking hilarious. We, you know, not that, but it's, and you just put yourself in the position, but boy, I'm, there's no substitute for working on your stuff. That was, yeah, I mean, yeah. it's so funny. I still get, yeah, obviously, and you probably get some people too, but I had people like, Ed, how do you get on that show? I'm funny. Can I get, you know, I'm saying, okay, well, you got to write it and write us back and write, and like, oh, you can see their eyes glaze over when they realize, oh, I have to actually do some work. You know, it's like, well, yeah, and it's fun work, but it's work. It's just like my nephew said, oh, this friend of his, like, oh, hey, he wants to be a comedy writer. And he said, like, hey, can he call you? And I'm like, you know, of course, or whatever. So this kid calls me, and he's time. He's like, yeah, hey, I love sports stuff. And because I do a lot, of, I've done, a, like, 11 ESPYs, you know, awards. I'm a big sports fan, so we're running for all these sports things. And he's like, oh, I do that. And he's like, yeah, so how do you get in? And I was like, well, you want to put material together, portfolio? I said, you want to write sketches, you know you know, and he was like, well, I'm an ideas guy mostly. Seriously. You know, and that told me it's like, oh, my God, dude. It's like, you know, I don't blame him, but it was very clear to me. It's like, well, this guy doesn't want to work. He was like, I've got an idea. I've got everybody's got a freaking idea. Can you execute? Do you put it on paper? Let's see it. Um, yeah, it's like the person that says, I could be a comedian. I'm situationally funny around my friends. I just don't know if I can write it down or something. You're like, yeah, you don't get it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and you might be able to, but you got to try. And, that, yeah. and that's it. And I'd say, too, if you want to write, like, write stuff down. Write short stories. Write the stuff. I mean, because you're going to need samples at some point. And that's where people are like, oh, you knew Dennis Miller. It's, it's like, I had to sit down and write 100 freaking topical jokes and get it approved by HBO. So it's like, I had to put the work in. But I had been writing for me and writing and keeping myself creative so that when the opportunity was there, I was able uh, to grab it. So it's you don't know where any of this is going to take you, but... The best thing you can do for yourself is take it seriously. Do the work. Do do improve yourself. Write stuff down. Write a spec. You know, you can write a sitcom spec. There's people they want to get in a sitcom. I'm like, you gotta write a spec. I was like, I was an award-winning writer and I had to write a spec to get into this. Like, so it's 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 tough, and you they want to see your work. They don't they don't give a damn about if your cousin thinks you're funny. You know, mm-hmm. cousin is Spielberg or something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think it's, you know, putting in that work and presenting yourself and just, it's really all you can do, too, because you can frustrate, like, you know, I've been really fortunate, and I could have been more fortunate, too. You look at things like, you know, like, I had a shot at this and all, oh, and that didn't get picked up. Boy, if that show had gotten, you know, you're going to bounce all over with that, and I always try to, you know, I just try to stay in the piece of it, and I, I sound like I'm always like this at the time, you know, you react and stuff, but, you know, my manager was always saying it's about the process, it's about, and it's, you hate to hear it, but it's freaking true. You just got to do what you do and um, hope it finds and lands someplace. And I think if you do, if you do the hard work and, and earnestly and, and are you know polite and nice with the people you interact with, um, opportunities will spring up that you don't even expect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well said. Really answer, sorry. I, no, no, love it. The, the, there's a lot of people that uh, in my life that have found out that I've been doing that. I, I didn't really... Aside from the podcast, really, I didn't really go out and tell everybody in my daily 
work life and all that. And some, some have found out and they say, Oh man, how do you do that? And I think I could do that. And then I show them my, I have a notepad on my phone where I write down all my ideas. And it's at this point, 45 pages long, or whatever, I'm just flipping through. And they're just like, ah, I don't know if I was <laughs> just like, I don't know if I want to do that. It's like, but yeah, you got to write it's down, work. like you say, you got to write. It's great work, but it's work. You mm-hmm. know, and that's, that, that is the thing. And I guess that's the thing that separates everybody, right? There's so like idea guys. It's just, so, I, I can't tell you here and, and shows too. I got a show idea. Okay. <laughs> when you got like, I can't tell you how many times we've heard it's a modern day version of all in the family. I, <laughs> I've seen that pitch from like 25 different people. And I'm like, okay, you got anything else? Is it? Cause like, even when I'm selling a pilot, I've got, I wrote the spec script. Here's a here's a breakdown of perhaps future uh, episodes. Here's an outline of each character. It's like this stuff has to be thought out for the most part. It can't just be that. Like, no, you do this and that. That's great. Like they they're not interested, you know. And that's the same thing. It's like, well, that's a bunch of work. It is. Sometimes it's a pain in the ass. Going like, well, can't they see this? You know. It's like, no, they can't. Uh, no. So you, you really have to lead. Some and some executives are better than others at saying it. I remember the late great Kevin Rooney would always talk about. He's like, you know, some of these uh, executives read your script, but in their head they're like, John walks in and says, "Hello, what are you doing?" No, what are you doing? It's true. Like if they don't get it, you know. And there's an apocryphal tale that they always tell uh, in, in California, and that has probably got some truth in it. But about these, this writing team wrote a script, and the network guy was like, "This is awful." And they were like, hey, well, let us come in and talk to you about it. And they came in and read the script, and he's laughing and laughing. And the network guy said, oh, well, if you're going to do it like that. It's like sometimes they don't see it. Makes sense. All right, Wayne, you got your uh, your special question? Yeah, I actually I have two two quick questions for you. It's making me nervous now. This is some weird shit. No, no. He always asks a question at the end that I'm like, this is useless. But every time he has to do it, and uh, people like it. So maybe maybe it's good. So I do have an additional question. That's that's not the useless one. Just out of curiosity, if there is a, is there a a show, uh, whether it be sitcom or variety show or something, past or present, something that maybe before your time or going on now that you wish you could have written on? Do you, do you have like a man? I really wish I would have I would have loved to write on the Brady Bunch or something like that. I'm sure there's a million, right? Or like, boy, back from the old, I mean, when I was just a kid, but like the old Bob Newhart show mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, some of those are like Mary Tyler Moore, right? Like some of those, God, MASH. Uh, yeah, there's there's plenty I, I wouldn't have minded writing on, but I think it was like 15 at the time, so they probably wouldn't have let me. But um, yeah, you know, there's, just, there's some great ones out there, that's for sure. Although I will say, I finally got to work with Bob Newhart. And again, it's incredible. I a guy who's older than me. Like, cause you just, there's not that many around. Like, I go, you're funny, son. Like, you're damn right, sir. Uh, <laughs> it's so great because I always was a big fan of his. And then my manager ran into his manager in Vegas. And this was unbeknownst to me. This is like five, six years ago. And they were talking and Bob's manager said, oh, Bob is doing a roast for Don Rickles and he's looking for some help with some material. And then my manager, being a good manager, said, oh, you should check out my guy's uh, stuff here. Send it over to Bob. It's really good. And my manager didn't tell me because he said he didn't want to tell me if they turned me down or whatever because he knows how sensitive I am. Uh, <laughs> but luckily, he sent it over to uh, Newhart, who liked it. So my manager calls me. He's like, hey. I sent your stuff to Bob Newhart. He loved it. He wants to work with you. Can he call you? I'm like, yeah, I guess he can call me. It depends. I might be busy. <laughs> yes, yes. Bob freaking Newhart, you know. And he called and, uh, oh, my God, it was so great. You know, it's funny. I don't get starstruck too much or whatever. I really don't. But I was like, this is Bob freaking Newhart. So he calls up and, and he's like, oh, you know, can you come over to my uh, place there? Just maybe print out some stuff and bring it over. The old school. I was like, yes, sir. You know, I, I can do that. And then so I get a little lost, like, going over to his place. And I'm trying to find it kind of in the woods there. And like, is this up in the mountains? I'm like, oh, that's got to be the address. And like, I'm turning around and I wipe out all his trash cans that were out like in the street. <laughs> like loudest noise you've never heard, ever heard. I just like pull up, like neighbors are looking out the windows. Like, is it, you know, it's like a helicopter dropping chandeliers. What the hell? <laughs> loudest thing you've ever heard. They were empty, luckily. But I get, I'm like, holy shit, you know, and I put them up and. And I go up the door, and then he answers the door, and I just couldn't resist. And I'm like, oh, hi, Mr. Newhart. And he's like, oh, Bob. And I said, uh, Bob, I, I got to tell you, I just, I knocked over all your trash cans when I was pulling up. And he goes, oh, did you pick them up? I said, well, yeah, of course. I said, huh? come on in. 
Love new art. That's just what he's like. It was so much fun. And oh, and talking about the that's funny thing. So he sits down and I give him this list and I'm like, oh, he's just this delightful guy. And he starts and he starts to read my stuff and then he looks at him and he goes, oh, Ed, you want to uh, be offended if I'm not laughing out loud as I'm read, reading this? And I said, I'll be surprised, but not offended, no. And we talked about the it's funny thing, right? And once in a while I'd be like, oh, that's funny. And we kind of did it. And uh, that was really fun. How did we get the Bob Newhart? Oh, because talking about shows, because mm-hmm. I always loved both of his uh, sitcoms mm-hmm. and stuff. And so that was really thrilling to, to be able to do that. It was a guy I didn't think I was going to be able to, you know, he showed me, the, you know, he won the first, um, he didn't say this, but I happen to know this, the first comedy Grammy ever in 1959. Oh, really? But, which is before I was born. And I saw it. And, and, and I said, well, you know, I know the button-down mind of Bob Newhart. So I said, I happen to know that. So he's like, oh, uh, yeah, I, I, I can show it to you. And I said, yeah. I go, oh, I said, I'd, I'd have that up right here. He's like, oh, Jenny thinks it's ostentatious. That's why we had to like go in his den and show me where he had the little Grammy, you know. So it's so funny. So I'm just, oh, and so I'm leaving, too. Like, it's funny. I go, hey, thanks. This is it's such an honor. And, uh, and he goes, oh, hey, Ed. Uh, and and some, you better watch out. Like, anyway, some feral garbage cans are throwing themselves in front of cars around. <laughs> that must have been an incredible experience. Yeah, awesome. Oh, and he's so sweet. And he called up and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't able to go because I was working on another show in L.A. So, and the thing was in New York. And he, uh, he roasted Rickles. And, and he called me and he's like, oh, yeah, this uh, you know, stuff went really good. And they quoted a bunch of your stuff in GQ. So pick up a copy of that. And it was like so sweet of him, you know. And, oh, when I was at this place too, like, I just sat there and was, he's telling me Don Rickles stories. I'm like, can you imagine? And I'm sitting there like, I didn't want to leave. And it was like, he's telling, he's telling me these stories. And then finally it was funny, he's like, so Ed, uh, we sat here. It was like his nice way of saying, you can go now. You know, mm-hmm. I was like, freaking move in. This is unbelievable. <laughs> yep. So to get a glimpse of like this classic comedy, like you know, that like I say, it was nice to feel like I'm a youngster compared to these guys. But I always had a real respect and do for every, you know for the past history of comedy. Mm-hmm. I know it's like that as well, and I, there's a lot to be said for that too because you look back and see how people did stuff and that. And, yeah, some people aren't interested in it. Like, you know. So that might um that might have answered my what Anthony calls stupid question. <clears throat> so I'm trying to, <laughs> I'm trying well, to, I have a lot of stupid answers so I can help. Well, here we go. Match made in heaven. Uh, so I've been trying to, uh, expand on my, uh, what I take in for, for comedy and trying to get out of my, um, my wheelhouse of what I normally listen to for stand up. So I've been asking guests if, if they had anything that was kind of not obscure, but just what they would recommend that I could check out. Uh, for a stand-up special or, or something that that might might not be something that I've listened to. Well, uh, here's this is an interesting thing, and I will tell you this: um, when I first started out, I did I watched a lot of different comics, but it's like I don't watch anybody anymore, and mm-hmm. I haven't in quite some time. And the reason George Carlin wrote about this in his great his last book, which I think was published posthumously, but he had written I think Final Words, or oh, I have it somewhere, but he was saying I don't. Um, I don't watch other comics. He's like, because hey, I, I always want to come at something with my own thoughts and not feel like I'm being influenced. And he said, also, I don't want to steal accidentally. And like, I knew exactly what he said. Like, again, it's really important. I think originally watching a bunch of guys, but I don't watch anymore for those very same reasons. Like, even when I was writing on Dennis Miller live, we would all write on some topic. And we would then read each other's stuff as we were turning in. It's like, I never wanted to see anything. And, and, and same with like when a news story now pops on Twitter. If I'm honest, like, I don't look at any of my friends' Twitter because I want it coming right from my angle. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't want to be influenced. And I'll do, then I'll check out my friends. Like, oh, that's a funny angle. I didn't do that. But I don't want to be influenced. And I also don't want to accidentally steal. Like, you sit there and go, like, well, that was my thought, right? Or you have that little doubt here and mm-hmm. there. So, um so it's a weird way of answering it. Like I said, so I got no recommendations for you now. It's so funny. I, yep. I don't watch many stand-up specials. I watch little chunks of uh, Norm MacDonald or somebody pops on or a friend of mine, but I don't watch it for those very reasons that Carlin talked about. I was like, oh, okay, yay, somebody else is saying it. I thought I was just 
goofy or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, with but not not for that reason. Um, yeah, so I, I don't got nobody for you. Yeah, that's uh, a fair answer. Shit, Wayne. There we go. That, this is exactly <laughs> what I was looking for. This happened last week, too, and I love it. <laughs> you watch right, Anthony. Yeah. Anthony will watch you, and that's really all you need to do. Yeah, well, that's what, what I said last week, too, it, it, I've been watching it more, and then Anthony kind of turned me on to doing this, but I, I watch now more in terms of the technical aspect of how people are holding their mic, how they move, how they intonate certain things, not so much the material, but just stage presence and yeah, things like that. interesting, you know, Dobie's huge on that. I, I never did any of that. It just kind of came to me. I didn't like to think too much about stuff. But it's good if you can do it. I probably should have. I don't follow any of it. I just I just watch it. <laughs> I do my own thing. <laughs> but uh, but I do like you to see. You do, man. I, I do like That's to it. see how, how people handle themselves up there. Well, good. Well, we're at the end here. So, Ed, where can the people find you? I don't. I, uh, I don't know because I, I got uh, my little sites and my web things. Do you guys put it up on your uh, show? And not that I don't watch every episode. You know I do. But no, I, no. We, I, <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll put it in there for you. But uh, I will go let you guys know. Like I say, like I'm hoping to bring my sh- one man show cracking up, which is about my 25 years in Hollywood of stories about Bob Newhart and that sort of thing. Uh, hoping to bring that up a New England way this uh, fall. So definitely let you guys know about that. Definitely. I'd love and to check that out if, if you do. I have, a, yeah, I have a website that's got speaking stuff on a website that has my writing stuff and, and links to my books and all that kind of stuff. So uh, it's all like, uh, it's all the world of Ed Driscoll. It's, it's probably too scattered around right now, which I'll get somebody to kind of hone it in. But I have a bunch of different things hanging out there. Uh, but Nothing to promote specifically other than, yes, buy my books. I, I don't know if you guys will put that up on the thing. I'll put the links to. Yeah, uh, yeah send me the links to it all. I'll put them up. People will like them because Spilled Gravy is all about kind of my comedy career, starting from where and how I went through. So that whole thing is, is about me and also relationships and about me being in recovery. I've been sober for, for 30 years. And um, so it's all intertwined and all that. And it's people really, really seem to like it. And then I wrote another book called uh, Laugh, Damn It, which is just, that's just a bunch of jokes. It's like 500 jokes. Uh, and that's fun if you just want to read uh, jokes. And then I, my latest one was one called Unmoved Chess Pieces, which, again, just like spilled gravy, makes no sense until you read it. Um, but it, it was, it's a funny look at grief. It was about me, me taking care of my parents when they passed away. So it's plenty, you know, I'm, it's always a yuck fest with me. But um, <laughs> all the books have you know, different audiences, but people seem to enjoy it. I, you know, this thing is the best when you can, you know, make people laugh and make them think. Uh, uh, too, you know, for me, mm-hmm. feel, and so uh, you know, sounds corny, but it it really is like the best feedback. It's nice that I get, I still will get emails from people I don't know, and and spilled gravy's been out since two thousand six, and people say like, well, you know what, I didn't overcome alcoholism, but I have this insecurity, or I love when you talk about this or that, and I was like, oh wow, it's it, it's kind of neat to relate to people and that people are like you know it's like hey i'm actually doing some good in this world besides just making people laugh which there's nothing wrong with but um that's why i've been finding my books very satisfying hey like is that my teenager banging around in there i'm just wrapping up huh? <laughs> <laughs> well buy the books and re- just know that we're really pumped that you came on and we really appreciate it and join us next week where we discuss why Barry Manilow's gay and why Barry White is straight and how we meet in the middle. Yeah. And rem- well, I don't know if you want to do that either. But, you know, whatever. It's not my to judge. Thank you, guys. It was really fun. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Ed. You're the man. I, I don't think he means up. Uh, Underage, I think he just be, think no, no, not than him. <laughs> no offense, but I don't think he means girls. <laughs>